What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, guys. Hope you're having a great day. I am excited to talk about investing. And this is the third in our series of three shows, Talking Investing. And so in the first, we talked a little bit more about how to navigate scary downturns in the market. And the second, we talked more about how those look, like historically, some of the numbers and returns and that kind of thing. And then today, we're going to be talking about some of the behavioral tendencies we all can run into that can really affect our decision making and ultimately can cause some big mistakes. And so we're going to get into that today. This is a big topic. Behavioral finance is what what they call it. But behavioral finance is a monster topic. Uh, it's one of my favorite to, to get into. Today, we're just going to hit some of the high points of some of these behavioral tendencies that are out there and uh, hopefully give you some baseline knowledge and awareness so you can start to see them and and other people and yourself and uh, ideally avoid some of the mistakes that can come into play as a result of them. So we'll jump into that now. Okay, so we're talking behavioral finance. So this is a fun topic. Uh, it's one of those things, it's like a little easier probably to identify it in other people. So I we get to see it. It's one of the fun parts about my day job. I mean, we work with people one-on-one, uh, -on -one, uh, you know, all day long. And so it's really one of those things that we can typically see before sometimes people see it in themselves. And, you know, often by pointing it out, we can really help people a lot. So that's the fun part about it. Now, on occasion, you know, we can't help. So that's that's unfortunate. But um, it is one of those things. It's like anything, you know, behaviorally, it's sometimes harder to self-identify these things. Uh, but it's not something that you cannot self-identify, especially as you gain some awareness around it. So we'll be talking through some of the big areas uh, or behavioral tendencies that, that I have seen come out and what they look like and how you can potentially avoid mistakes around them. So behavioral finance is this whole study of like people and how they're not quite as rational or self-controlled and they're ultimately prone to errors and mistakes and biases and 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 so we're going to talk about like I said some of the biggie areas that uh, behavioral finance uh, has identified. So the first one I wanted to talk through is it's called overconfidence. So you might already be thinking, you know, the right direction on this. It is what it sounds like. It's overconfidence is this idea that I, you know, know really more than I actually do. And it's really common. There's been a lot of studies on this and they seem to say the same sort of thing. So there was one that I was looking at recently, uh, looking at fund managers, like investment fund managers, and 74% of them said they're above average and 26% said they're average. And then basically 0% said they're below average. So everybody thinks they're at least average or above, which is not possible. And so this is reinforcing the whole overconfidence thing. Not everybody is subject to this. 
it can depend on the topic or, or how much you know about it. Sometimes it's most common when you know enough to be dangerous. You've heard people talk about that, but that what people say when they're overconfident, it's like, I know, cause usually you can kind of acknowledge that people tend to do this, but you'll say something like, I know everyone says they're above average, but I really am above average. Uh, and so it's one of those things you're like, nah, I'm not overconfident, but then I'm sure there was times when you were, I or at least I can think of times where I was overconfident, maybe not in all areas of my life, definitely not in all areas, but in certain times. And like I said, it's usually when you, you know, know enough to be dangerous. And so the problem with overconfidence is it gives you confidence, gives you this feeling of being in control and you're not, you're less likely to exercise caution. It's typically, uh, you know, it makes you way more prone to mistakes and all along the way, considering yourself, you know, maybe an expert or, or more knowledgeable than you really are. And so this shows up with investing, especially, you know, say you're buying investments, particularly like individual investments. Say you bought like a cryptocurrency and GameStop or, or whatever individual stocks and were started doing that in the mid to like say 2015 or something like that. And so from 2015 to 2020, everything's gone up and your stuff, your trading, your investment choices have done exceptional. And uh, you've started to see the balances go up and have built up some confidence. And maybe it's gotten a, a little in the overconfidence level. And so what happens is you start to feel like you've got it figured out. And then sometime, well, with investing at least, inevitably it always goes the other direction. So this is where the mistakes often happen. The, the mistakes, you know, can happen when everything's going up, but usually when everything's going up, everything's going up. So it's hard to not make money uh, within with general investing. But when things go down, that's oftentimes when the big mistakes happen. And so when you have this overconfidence, you don't really recognize that and you're prone to those mistakes and they can happen really fast, especially when things go down. So ideally you're like the, pro the problem with a lot of these is they're difficult to self identify. So ideally, uh, this is where it's helpful to get another person's view. This is going to be true with a lot of these, but whether it's a, f you know, knowledgeable friend or, or if you work with a financial planner, this, this should be something you're asking them about, especially if you're like doing, pulling the trigger on certain things with your uh, investing, but it's good to get others input on this and then listen to it. Cause they might say something that you don't agree with, but it's important to remember, especially if they have expertise, like they probably know what they're talking about and it's probably easier for them to see some of my flaws and maybe they have a point. So at least be open to other people's uh, input on this kind of thing. Even your spouse, like sometimes the, uh, so if you're, like I said, like uh, you know enough to be dangerous in that territory, that's kind of oftentimes where it happens. And sometimes it's where it happens when you say you're, you know more than enough and you're, you're an expert. 
but you're really not. So that's that's probably even more dangerous of a time. But oftentimes, say the spouse that doesn't really know much at all can be bringing up really good points. Like we ought to get someone else's opinion because this is not what you do. Uh, you don't spend that much time on it. You're so busy doing this other thing that you have going on or job or whatever. And so sometimes they can be uh, the voice of reason that you're, and sometimes it just takes listening to them. So, so that's overconfidence. That's a big one that can come into play. I think it's common, most common probably in, um, in, younger people that have uh, not had that have had some experience investing but not a ton of experience it seems like sometimes these big huge market downturns will teach people some of these lessons uh, through you know through that mistake so that that's overconfidence that's a big one self-serving bias is the next one that i wanted to talk about so self-serving bias is where you you tend to attribute like good things or good outcomes to your skill and bad, bad outcomes to luck. It's, it's where you're going to say like, this is, if it's a bad situation or outcome, you're going to be like, ah, that's, that's not me. Like, that's not my fault. Now, if it's good, you're going to be like pat on the back. So I like the example for this, for self-serving bias. I like the example of like, uh, school because everybody can relate to this it's like if you get an a plus on the test you're going to be like wow i must have done so well with my studying and I'm, I'm i'm a naturally smart person and i've got lots of skills so nice job self versus imagine getting the same test score back and you're, you're like oh i got a d minus so then you're like well it, man the teacher didn't teach what they needed to teach in the books they're they're lacking, like there was no direction and you're just coming up with excuses and it's not my fault, it's external factors. So that's self-serving bias and everybody has a little bit of it in them, but it can become a major problem with investing, especially if you're you know, involved in pulling the trigger and making decisions because you're gonna just, it's like same as the test score, you're gonna pat yourself on the back when things are good and when things are bad, you're going to look for excuses and blame other people. Uh, when in reality, it's probably not quite that away. Um, with investing, a lot of times, so when things go really well, most of the time it's not you. It might be like a little fraction of you, but most of the time it's not you. And, and even when they go poorly, it's oftentimes not, not you, but... I think what with investing people oftentimes attribute success with their investments too much to their own intelligence. And so I think a good way to counter that is to, well, same thing as overconfidence, getting others input. That's, that's going to be common in these, but also maybe comparing to uh, more objective comparisons like how is the overall market doing? That's that's always a good kind of uh, wake up uh, or, or benchmark kind of uh, checkup on on this sort of thing. So that's self serving bias. Uh, hindsight bias is the next one. So this one, I'm sure you'll recognize this. Um, it's where you you think you know more or knew more than you really did in the past, 
and I hear this all the time um, with people talking about like big events. So like 2008, in 2008, we had the housing bubble crash and everybody that was around then probably remembers that, but everything tanked. But what happened is like you started to get people reflecting back on that and a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people would talk like, you know, maybe they saw it coming and, uh, you know, it was, uh, the writing was on the wall and, you know, it was inevitable and everybody knew it was going to, you know, eventually crash. And, um, you kind of create this belief in your head that like at that moment in time, you did see it coming. But in reality, if you look back to actual, you know, what was going on in the moment before that crash, nobody knew that that was coming. Like, that's just not reality. In fact, if you acted like you knew it was coming, people would like make fun of you. Like that was the least uh, likely thing for people to be bringing it up. So one in a million people like knew that thing was coming. There was like a movie made about the one dude that knew 2008 was coming. What's it called? The Big Short. The Big Short, if you haven't seen that, that's a good movie. But that's the movie about the dude that he's the only dude that knew 2008 was actually coming. Maybe a few more guys but and gals. But uh, 2008, a lot of people, like, looking back, think they knew it was coming but really didn't. So what happens with this hindsight bias is you start to – you kind of give yourself more credit than is due. And it goes along with these first three. It's like – leads to more over, you know, overconfidence, patting yourself on the back. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. Confirmation bias. A lot of these are related. So confirmation bias is a little different. It's paying close attention to information that's confirming your belief and ignoring information that contradicts your beliefs. So this is really my, my favorite example of of confirmation bias is social media because social media has completely figured out how real of a bias this is. So social media like completely puts like the technology, I guess, is like programmed to put stuff in front of you that's in line with your values and beliefs and not put stuff in front of you that's against those. And so this totally makes people feel good about this. I mean, this is in line with confirmation bias. And so the problem, I mean, I mean the same thing with social media. When you're investing, if you're only taking in information in the area of the thing that you believe. So let's say it's like you have just gravitated towards this idea that I'm going to go with the one that's actually happened lately. So like GameStop stock was super popular. And uh, a lot of people talked about it and it was the news for a while, like they were buying that one stock and it got crazy. Um, so say around that time, you really just bought into that idea and you were uh, the people you hung out with, uh, you know, or the re you were online in this group that all talked about it. So, you know, that was kind of what you were hearing and all day long and all the news stories you got was was that and even your social media started to pop stuff like just on that story. And so that's just really just pushing you down the same path you're already going and confirming these beliefs you already have, which causes you to do more of it. And uh, what's happened with GameStop, for example, you know, it skyrocketed and then it's been 
it went way down and then it went back up. But it's been since that huge skyrocket when it was big in the news, it's been on a steady trend down. And so that's often what happens with these. But, you know, even if it does pretty well, the problem with this is you're not, it leads you to be less open to other ideas. And whether it's social media or, I mean, this can be any idea, but like with investing, like there's all kinds of good ideas about uh, that are out there. And um, just because you've already committed to this, whatever given ideas you already have being great, like that doesn't mean they're always going to be great or maybe even you're wrong. And it's good to consider the other side of the coin. So this is one that it's good to just open up or force yourself to open up to other ideas or alternatives and, um, you know, have, have that open mind. Okay, so recency bias is the next one. That's the one that's actually kind of similar to hindsight that, that I was uh, thinking about as I was talking about it. But hindsight bias and recency bias are both kind of like looking at the past. But recency bias is, uh, you know, honing in on short term and really overemphasizing the importance of that. And so the short term, which we talked about like in the past couple episodes, but the short term in investing world, it should not be the focus. It's a long game. And so there's this tendency though for people to like really just hone in on that. So like, let's say the market tanked, like the news says like the worst loss in eight million years, like everything's going down, everything's blowing up. And it's based on this one day drop. And you're going to have a tendency to be like, ah, this is a problem. Like I got to, it's because it's fresh and it's in, but like if you go back and look at history, it's like there's actually been a whole bunch of days like this before, many, many days like this before, if you look at it objectively. And, um, and in reality, like this day is not important. So this is good a good uh, one where it helps to refer back to your financial plan and remind yourself of the goals and that the dollars are tied to those goals, which should be long-term. You got to have the long view and recency bias is about having a short view and having a pull towards that. Everybody has a pull to kind of look at what they recently had happen, but with investing, it's a long, it needs to be a long view. So you have to kind of pull yourself away from that, even though there's that natural tendency. Okay, so anchoring bias is the next next one. Um, anchoring bias uh, is relying too much on like pre-existing info or like the first info that you come across. Um, it's like, you know, latching on. So uh, example, I've seen this with um, people we worked with uh, one-on-one in the past with their planning. And so maybe it's like, my parents lost lots of money in the market. Therefore, I'm going to lose lots of money in the market if I do it. So I'm not going to do it. So they've kind of like latched on to this information that their parents have passed on to them. And, and that's kind of, they're adopting that themselves. Or maybe it's like, uh, my buddy, um, that I, hang out with has done really well with real estate investments. So I'm going to do really well. So the problem with it is it's not adequate information. You're kind of like latching onto a limited 
tiny slice of the information and potentially making huge decisions on that small, tiny information. So like with the parents example, like maybe they had no idea what they were doing or maybe they didn't lose as much money as they thought they did or who knows what happened. Like maybe the timing was bad, which is a mistake in itself. So there's a lot of things that could have happened, but like it's impossible to like draw a conclusion from it without knowing like the entire story of not only the parents, but also you should probably look at like what the alternatives could have been for them. And and so the problem with this is not doing a full adequate analysis. Okay, loss aversion. So loss aversion is the next one I want to talk through. So this is where you are just going to be overly fearful of losses. And, um, you know, it's just the pull to avoid losses kind of at like all costs or at greater cost. And so the research says that like if you've experienced prior losses, you're going to have an increased chance of having having this issue come up in the future, which kind of makes sense. Uh, or maybe other people around you, kind of like the parents example, like overlaps with this. Like maybe you're you're kind of pulling in that loss they've had and uh, attaching to it. But it's going to so in down markets, like when investments go down, it just naturally brings more fear into the equation for everyone. So everyone has a little bit of this is they you just see it when you hear people talk about investments a lot more when they go down. Uh, so this is in play for all of us in, to, to different extents. Some some people are like uh, painfully fearful. It's like, um, you know, to the point where they can't take any action on anything with any risk. Uh, so insurance companies actually leverage this uh, this the, by selling uh, products that have like like they have annuities with floors. So there's this like return or law, uh, cap and floor. Like they they limit the downward exposure, and so it's basically like capping the losses uh, that you can have. And uh, but they come at a huge cost typically. So they they basically sell these overpriced products a lot of times uh, in order to help people like uh, address this uh, behavioral tendency. So I think a better, much better approach is to kind of work through that and have some understanding of why, where the fear is coming from and um, how a, a little bit of like understanding of how markets work that can help and understanding how these, you know, downturns typically play out and reminding yourself about the purpose of the dollars and consulting your plan. Like what's the money for, you know, is it a long-term thing? It should be. And if so, then this short-term loss is really not a problem because I'm not going to need it short-term. So the last one that I want to talk about is herd mentality. So this is the, you know, common one that comes up. It's like the FOMO, like fear missing out ties in with that. So it's like the tendency for people to follow the masses and um, as opposed to doing like their own independent analysis. So examples of this lately are um, cryptocurrency, GameStop, I-bonds, especially lately. So we see it this is probably one of the most often ones we see like just snippets of it from people we work with one-on-one. -on -one. It's typically how it comes up is like, I've heard from several of my buddies 
that XYZ is a, a good place to put money right now or something along those lines. And so the fact that, so I think it's different if you work with a financial planner versus if you're doing it yourself, a lot of these, and especially this one, um, these people that are bringing it up to us, they're doing like the right thing. What I would tell you to do uh, is bringing it up to another person. Or if you're doing it yourself, I mean, bring, you could bring it up to another person then too, but they need to know what they're talking about. Or you need to be doing your own independent analysis. So if you're, you know, putting your entire net worth into, into cryptocurrency, like you really need to understand it backwards, forwards, and understand all the risks and how it affects your planning. And so if, if you're, it's important to, um, you know, avoid that pull to go with what the people around you and the masses are doing. Um, cause that's where like major, that's where like bubbles get created and then they blow up. Not to say any of these are necessarily bubbles, but like you don't want the herd to drive your decisions. It's it will pull you like behaviorally like this is what all this research is about. Like behavioral finance is the fact that we all have these pulls either way. But like you don't want it to affect your pull you so much that so much that it's affecting your decision making and, you know, causing you to make big errors. So. With herd mentality, you know, think about the decisions, where it's coming from. Are you running it by someone else? If you're not running it by someone else, are you doing like an independent analysis or are you just going with what the herd is doing? And, um, you know, thinking through those uh, points, I think will be helpful. All right. So that's behavioral finance in a quick uh, nutshell. Uh, this is one of those things, like I said, there's been huge books written on it and you can dig in a lot on this. Um, and I'm happy to get into some of these areas more. Like I said, I enjoy this, uh, subject. However, I know, you know, it's, it can get pretty intense. So let us know anytime if you have areas within this or other areas that you want us to dig into in the future and we'll definitely uh, plan to do that as we hear from you hope you have a great rest of your day and good catching up as always as always thank you so much for joining us today if you found this valuable please give us a review on itunes and share with a friend also check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content see you next time finance for physicians is not an investment tax legal or financial advisor all content included in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial tax or legal advice. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by Finance for Physicians as to another party's informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. If you don't have an advisor or would like a second opinion, feel free to check out our website for recommended advisors.